I am a police officer, and this is a story about one of the smartest criminals I encountered. I worked with this one guy who had a lengthy record. He had a system for getting released if he got caught. After committing a crime, if the police were in pursuit and he knew he was about to be cornered, he would act insane. His girl would play along with it telling the police that he was off his medication. The police would arrest him but then send him to a mental ward with papers instructing the ward to release to police once he was cleared. Once he was in the mental ward, he would cause a distraction that would make the person attending the desk with the file cabinet to leave said cabinet. He would then crawl to the file cabinet, look for his release to police papers, and then would literally eat the papers. When the psych evaluators decided that he was stable enough to be released, there would be no instructions to send him to the police, and he would be released to the general public. He did this about 10 times until police officers noticed him back on the streets. This stunt forced the state to change their procedure for detaining mentally unstable suspects. I'm not a cop but I work crime scene. This guy had attached GPS to the bottom of people's cars who owned houses, he wanted to rob. He did it to ensure they wouldn't be showing up while he was ransacking the place. While I was in police force, I cuffed a group who pulled a shoplifting scam on a large, popular and well-known US retail store. They walked in with some cheap nylon product to get one of those I walked in with this stickers they used to put on returning merchandise. The sticker easily peeled off the product undamaged. They walked to the electronics department, grabbed an expensive box off the shelf and went to customer service. They placed the sticker on the big box and asked if they could return the item without a receipt. Unfortunately, no. Not without the original receipt. Dang it and they walk out. Customer service even gave the doorman the thumbs up having just interacted with the customer. This took place before widespread inventory controls and cameras absolutely everywhere. Worked at a jail. After getting off work, I watched an ex-inmate, homeless, being released, he walked over to a patrol car, looked me in the eye, and the elbowed the window in. He was walked back to the entrance and rebooked in. It was middle of January. He didn't want to get too cold. Edit, to the people talking about can't break car windows. That's true. Also depends on the car. The patrol car they used was specifically old model. Used more for the perimeter of the jail unless other patrol cars were in the shop. Those windows had been replaced so many times. I don't t know if it's the same material or what. And for the ones asking for news links, come on guys, you really think the news reports small time things? Those aren't dramatic enough. I could probably find their charges and stuff and share, but I'm not gonna do that to this guy. He was a nice guy. Not a dick. I'm not gonna put him on blast just to prove anything to people for karma or anything along those lines. I had a guy use a sledgehammer to smash his way through a wall at a Best Buy and steal a bunch of phones and cameras. 
He was smart enough to wear gloves and a face mask and not touch anything he didn't have to. Alarms didn't go off until he exited out the back door, which the alarm company gets after a minute or two and takes them like three quarters minutes to call into us, giving him a good five minute head start so he was probably a few miles away before we got dispatched to it. He clearly scoped out the area before doing his deed too. Smart dude. Edit, so part of the building was built into a hill, so the hole was on the back side of the building along the grade line but when you're inside the building it was about 8 feet up, so it was easier for him to leave out a door. Also the wall section where he broke through was hollow cement block, the portion of the wall below that was poured concrete. Here's one. I knew this guy back in the early 80s, let's call him Jim. Well he really wanted this high-powered superbike but he knew he could never afford it, so what he did was to take drive to London and scouted about for a few days until he found that particular model parked outside a house. He goes back that night with a slide hammer, pulls the lock, and steals the bike. He gets it home, puts it in his garage and completely strips it so that the only thing left is the frame and the bottom half of the engine, which he drags into the weeds at the bottom of his garden. Then he pours fuel over it and burns it a bit. A few weeks pass and weeds have started growing over it. It's at that point he calls the cops and reports that someone had dumped a bike frame in his garden. The cops show up and he explains that he just got back from being away and found it. The cops take the frame and note down high name and address. A few days later, the cops call him and say that the bike had been stolen from London a month or so ago from the serial number on the bottom half of the engine and frame, and that the insurance company had classed the bike as a write-off, and had told the cops to dispose of it. Now, because the frame was found in his garden and the insurance company didn't want it, the cops were duty-bound to ask him if he wanted to keep it, or if they should throw it. So he tells them that he'd always wanted to build a bike. He gets the fame back from them, repaints it, then puts it all back together and re-registers it as a Q-Reg, stolen and recovered. I forgot to call him Jim didn't I? Edit, to all the people asking if I'm Jim, no, I'm not. I knew him well though, we went to school together and he lived a few doors down from me. I had my own group of friends and occasionally went out at the pub, we would bump into him and he'd tell us of his exploits without a care in the world. As far as that bike goes, he proudly told a few people about it, but you know, we don't grass. He crashed the bike a few months later and was injured but I can't remember how. He was pretty much a career criminal the last time I saw him, and ended up in jail for a while. While many regard him as scum, I always felt bad for him, both his parents died before he was 12 and he was in and out of care homes for years. Out of his four brothers, one was murdered, the other died of an asthma attack, and another committed suicide. He could never hold down a job and also suffered from depression. The bloke had a shit life. It's been more than 25 years since I saw him last and I often wonder how he's doing. There's a small tourist town where I grew up that is divided in half by a big river, the only way between the two sides is over a long bridge, unless you go all the way around another mountain pass. These guys called in, like, 
two to three bomb threats to a posh hotel on one side of the bridge. I think they even left some dummy packages. All the police went across the bridge to do crowd control, etc. The guys then called in a bomb threat on the bridge and started robbing stuff on the other side. The police couldn't be positive the bomb threat was real or not and hesitated long enough to give the thieves a head start. I first heard this story about 10 years ago, in Banff, Alberta. Never bothered to look up what was real versus what is invented. I think this is pretty close. But as my father used to say, you can't let truth get in the way of a good story. Rob was a college drug dealer. Rob, unbeknownst to him, was the target of an undercover police operation that had already made a controlled purchase and was ready to wrap things up with a search warrant for Rob's apartment for more crime slash evidence and then arrest Rob. One of Rob's roommates had gotten a DUI and some other fairly serious charges, and police were additionally threatening the roommate's scholarship slash academic standing if he didn't give them something. So the roommate had set up Rob to get in trouble by the cops. Shitty friend. Fortunately, Rob's other college buddy Bill was serving community service doing janitorial work in the police station. He was not a shitty friend. Bill was walking by a detective's desk and saw Rob's photo clipped to all kinds of kinds of scary paperwork, warrants of various kinds. He had the sense action was imminent. Knowing Rob's entrepreneurship, Bill stepped outside and called Rob to warn him. Rob is able to clear all the illegal stuff out of his apartment only hours before the search warrant is served and he is arrested, they still had him for the undercover purchase, but he was able to dodge the hefty possession charges he would have received if he wasn't able to clear out the apartment. Unfortunately for Bill, Rob's phone was tapped, and the police were not happy to find out their carefully planned investigation was foiled by an inside man. So they charged Bill with some kind of obstruction of justice for tanking a police operation, messed with his community service and whatnot, basically hassled the F out of him for it. No karma there. Come to think of it, Rob had the most polarizing luck of any person I've ever met. Not long after that, he was the target of an armed home invasion which failed because Rob happened to be in his bedroom with the door locked when they busted in. Good luck right? The result of that was Rob's roommate and close friend Steve was accidentally shot by one of the robbers when they couldn't immediately get access to Rob's room. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
Gunman tried to pistol whip Steve and accidentally pulled the trigger, firing a single round laterally through his upper chest. Gun fires, everyone freezes for a second and there's total silence, Gunman audibly says oh shit before all three take off running, and chaos ensues as a half dozen of Steve's closest friends watch him bleed out and die on his living room floor. More good slash bad luck? Well, given a college kid was shot and bleeding out in the middle of a crowded housing complex at a big public college you've probably heard of, police were immediately called and responded quickly in force. In the chaos, before he realized his friend was shot, Rob was thinking quickly and got all his gear from in his room, jumped out the window and was able to toss everything in a nearby ravine before cops were on the scene. They never found the stuff. So he was able to avoid massive drug charges again. But once the cops responded and it became clear this was a botched drug robbery with a dead innocent bystander, and suspects who had- Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Escaped. They obviously felt compelled to do something and they personally blamed Rob for the whole thing. So they tore Rob's room apart and were able to find like a gram of weed behind his dresser. They charged him all out for it, and combined with the previous arrest for the undercover sale, they had just enough to kick him out of school and physically ban him from even setting foot on university grounds. Rob was about a year short of finishing an engineering degree. Now he can't even go watch his childhood football team. No jail time, but probation and banned from campus for a decade, I think. The story has a somewhat happy conclusion as the robbers were eventually apprehended by police and convicted on stiff charges. 
Rob was fortunate to find some professional opportunities relevant to his interests slash skills, but not requiring a degree, and he's doing well now. Stable middle-class suburban life. Having worked as a disciplinary officer in corrections, I've always been amazed at the ingenuity of inmates. The problem most run into is the follow-up of the crime they commit. Our department received a call one night that there were three of our inmates walking down a street a short distance away from our jail. The three were caught quickly, they were still wearing their stripes. However, upon doing a roster check it was discovered there was still one missing. He was caught about a month later. So, the ingenuity was more in how they escaped. They were housed in one of our maximum security tiers. After lockdown there is really only one way out of the cell. There is a very narrow window in each cell overlooking the yard, this was never really seen as a viable escape risk as they were so narrow one would have to be really skinny to even attempt to try to squeeze through. Due to lack of staffing, our guard tower stayed unmanned, so they took note of that. They spent a year losing weight, and observing the officers that worked the tier, taking note of which ones were lax in their duties. They loosened one of the windows, and when they finally reached a weight where they could all fit through, they took their opportunity. The officer on duty that night was so lax he didn't notice that four men entered a two-man cell at lockdown. Not just that, he didn't do a roster check at lockdown. So they got out and used a mattress to climb over the razor wire. The problem is they didn't have a good strategy for after they escaped. The one that was out the longest was probably the smartest, as he decided to part ways with the three who felt like it was a good idea to walk on a street in their prison stripes. But, he had no real plan either. He spent his time living in people's fishing camps when they weren't around. He was caught when one of the campers surprised him, and called the department who was able to locate him shortly thereafter. I was a prison guard. Here are a few of my stories. When I was in this one county jail the bloods ran the jail and I saw them once beat a crip near to death with socks full of dominoes. I was on the phone at the time and blood splattered on the wall next to me from several feet away. By chance I was on the phone with my lawyer and she heard the commotion and asked what was going on. When I told her she told me she would get me moved immediately. I told her I'd rather me in here than in solitary and she told me there might be another way. The next day a CO told me to pack up and I ended up being taken to the annex, which was a lot better. So I guess that worked out. At the same jail, the bloods beat up another blood who had snitched so bad he talked with a slur. I had heard the bloods talk about it but when I went to the annex I actually met the guy. They had used heated up plastic drink tops to forcibly burn his gang tattoos off of him, including on his forehead. He had gotten an infection in the burns in his forehead that was pretty serious and they took him out and I never saw him again. In prison the only truly serious act of crazy violence I witnessed was one inmate beat another inmate into a bloody pulp with a fire extinguisher. His teeth were spread across the floor like chiclets. For a long time people said he'd been killed but turned out he lived, but with a permanent brain injury. There was this Mexican guy who we called Horsey because he loved horses. 
His family even sent him magazines about horses. He was the nicest guy. One day he was talking on the phone and where I was the phones were actual old school pay phones and had glass in them and I think he was having problems with his wife, I think she cheated, and he punched the glass until he broke it and then began to rub his wrist along the shards repeatedly. Blood was going anywhere. I get chills thinking about it. Me and another dude were the only ones up there and we ran to him and pulled him out and tackled him to hold him to the ground. Another guy saw what was going on and ran down to get help. The crazy thing was he was back three days later and he was like it never happened. There was an older guy who was in my unit. Nice guy. One day he was just walking and foam started coming out of his mouth and he started vomiting uncontrollably and then just SHT his pants everywhere. It was not a pleasant sight. He hit the floor and was shaking. Someone ran for help and medical and other COs came in and took him out on a stretcher. He came back a couple days later and he was okay. It was some sort of seizure. One day in the chow hall a couple of inmates dared another inmate to climb inside the dishwasher. Don't ask me why he did this, but he did, and while he was in there it cut on. From what I'm told, this was a total freak accident this happened and he wasn't being set up or anything. He was severely burned by the scalding hot water all over his body. I saw them walking him to medical because they didn't want to lay him on the cart because skin was literally just falling off his body. They put everyone in the entire chow hall at the time in the SHU under investigation. Two weeks later most came back. No one was ever charged with anything. No one knew what happened to the guy that got burned. But later we had word someone actually saw him at another institute and he was okay, although he did have permanent burns. This story is a bit different than the above, but it is horrendous in its own way. There was this older gentleman I did time with. Everyone called him Mr., his last name, which escapes me at the moment. He had done 25 years for armed bank robbery. He would mostly watch TV all day. And even though he was black he watched the Spanish TV. I think he liked the big booty Spanish women. Mostly he was quiet. The day before his release after 25 years everyone was happy for him but all he said was I'll be back. The next day he was released and they dropped him off at the bus station. Still in his release clothes, he walked over to the bank and told them he had a gun and he wanted all their money. He then calmly walked out of the bank and sat on a nearby bench waiting for the cops. He was too broken and out of touch to face the real world. He had nobody on the outside. He left that morning and that evening we all saw him on the local news, including a mug shot with him in his release clothes. One thing that always sticks with me was when I was a past man in a hall. A younger guy had been ripped off for his phone credits, you had to put your prison number in and a code which someone watched him do, so he went to the screws and I happened to be there when he told them what had happened and asked what he should do. There was one we screw who seemed cool but I was still shocked when he basically told the boy how to make a tool for slashing the guy. Not that he had to report him. A couple of days later I passed over a sock with the tool inside and had a front row seat as the guy followed the thief into the showers and slashed his face in two, 
There was blood everywhere and the best of it was as he went into the showers the screws all knew and went into their office and shut the door. That was the first time I realized the screws are just as sick as the cons. When I was at Nevada State Prison, which is closed now as it was built in 1864, numerous times, it got bad real bad in the early 80s. The showers were on the lower yard and very secluded. You had no guards making certain nothing went wrong. You had to bring someone with you to watch your back. Large room with showers and nothing else. You would only wash from the neck down as you didn't want to have your head covered with soap if something went wrong. And it did. A lot. If you wanted to deal with someone this was the place. You would have your shank with you just in case along with you backup person. There are three times when you're vulnerable in prison, in the shower, sleeping, or using the toilet. A lot of very horrible things happened in the showers. One inmate told a guard he wanted to see a sergeant when he was told no, using his index finger he popped his eye out and then swished it with his fingers until it exploded. Yeah, very, playful face, gross. You asked, remember? Dizzy face, same inmate was placed in a cell with a Christian man. He beat him very badly and covered him with pages from his Bible which he set on fire. Then he broke off the antenna of his radio and jammed it into his ear. A guy told the guard that if he didn't move his celly he would kill him. When told no, he stabbed him to death with a metal bar out of his typewriter in front of the guard. This happened in a cell with the door shut. Nowhere to go. An inmate punched a sergeant in the face, breaking his jaw. As he was being taken to lockup, in full restraints, he was tazzered so many times they had to go and get another tazzer gun as the batteries in this one were now dead. This happened in front of the yard to set an example. A small, very enclosed riot broke out in the dining room when you were served on a large, heavy- Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Be stainless steel tray. Use your imagination on this one. On another yard, in Nevada... The entire yard had to watch as an inmate with issues was shot going over the fence. They use a 30.06 and yes, it is nasty. Makes you think twice about trying it. Stopped a guy at night. Willingly pulled over. Was Mr. Nice and had an answer for everything. Mistake was he left night vision on the dash which have me grounds to search. Had a perfect tool kit for high-end brakes. Radios to reach others in on the act. Thermal suits etc. A barrister turned up to interview. Offensive going equipped never stood a chance. He was released. On his way out joked he hadn't been stopped in 10 years. 
even complimented me on being proactive and observant. Record showed loads for burglary then nothing since 2002, two months later a camouflage server site down the road was hit. 1.5 million in kit went. Police didn't even know it was there. ISP had no idea how the alarms didn't go off and how such specialized kit was difficult to sell. Knew exactly who it was. But 0% proof. Nicest prisoner I ever had. The smartest prisoner I've encountered was also the only legitimate psychopath I've known. Young, charming, attractive and bordering genius levels when it came to law. Some people waste time while locked up. She didn't. Every night was spent studying law books religiously. For those unaware, US inmates are granted access to a law library to work their cases. In the course of a couple years, she dished her personal lawyer and stated representing herself, successfully. Writing motions, appeals, and making a killing doing the same for other inmates. If there was a technicality to be found, she found it. I imagine these are the kind of folks that end up corporate lawyers. While incarcerated, she always had a steady stream of drugs, even while in isolation, primarily cocaine. She'd instigate officers and inmates alike, create a situation then bring a case. You had to document everything with this girl. When you're accused of misconduct and cannot prove beyond any doubt otherwise, you become a liability. Several good officers were terminated during her stay. Requests to transfer her to other detention centers in the state were denied as no one was willing to take her. She ended up successfully dodging prison and being sent to a drug treatment center. Prolonged cocaine use took its toll and she had a massive stroke in her mid-twenties, leaving her partially paralyzed. That didn't stop her though. During an altercation, she got out of her wheelchair, picked it up and beat another prisoner nearly to death with it. That's been years ago, and I have no idea whatever happened to her as I left that line of work. My friend's dad was a cop and he used to tell me all kinds of stories. There was a guy who was in a local drug organization run by the Irish who had a fake FBI badge, and he flashed it everywhere when he was around cops. He would sometimes give wrong tips to the cops, leading them in the wrong directions, then he would quickly leave the scene and act as if he had to do something important. The guy would be involved with smuggling and carjacking and murder and everything, but the second cops arrived on the scene. He would just tell them that a source tipped him off this was happening and flash his badge, making it seem as if he just got there before them. Apparently this only worked for a few months, but he said finding out that the FBI guy they worked with was actually a member of the mob was the most embarrassing moment in their department's history. The Hot Bay at Bibb was a housing unit populated exclusively with prisoners with disciplinary infractions. It had limited supervision and no programming. On a Friday in September 2017, three days before the Department of Justice arrived at Bibb for the first full facility tour of our investigation, two prisoners stood guard at the doors of the Hot Bay, an open dormitory housing men in bunk beds multiple rows deep, watching for rarely seen correctional officers. 
At the back of the dormitory and not visible from the front door, two other prisoners started stabbing their intended victim. The victim screamed for help. Another prisoner tried to intervene and he, too, was stabbed. The initial victim dragged himself to the front doors of the dormitory. Prisoners banged on the locked doors to get the attention of security staff. When an officer finally responded, he found the prisoner lying on the floor bleeding from his chest. The prisoner eventually bled to death. One Hot Bay resident told us that he could still hear the prisoner's screams in his sleep. That same day, at Staten, a prisoner was stabbed multiple times by another prisoner and had to be medically evacuated by helicopter to a nearby hospital. The following day, at Elmore, a prisoner was beaten and injured by four other prisoners. At Ventress, officers performed a random pat-down on a prisoner, finding 17 cigarettes laced with drugs, a plastic bag of methamphetamine, and a bag filled with another hallucinogen drug referred to as cookie dough. On Sunday, a prisoner asleep in the Honor Dormitory, a dormitory reserved for prisoners with good behavior, at St. Clair was woken from sleep when two prisoners started beating him with a sock filled with metal locks. The victim was injured so severely that he was transported to an outside hospital for emergency treatment. That same day at Ventress, a prisoner was punched so forcefully in the eye by another prisoner that he was sent to an outside hospital. Another prisoner was stabbed by two other prisoners with homemade knives. A different Ventress prisoner was punched so hard in the face by prisoners with shirts covering their faces that he was transported to an outside hospital for treatment. At Staten, a prisoner threatened a correctional officer with a knife measuring 7 inches in length. And another prisoner reported that he had been sexually assaulted by a fellow prisoner after he had only agreed, in exchange for three store items, to lower his pants for that prisoner to view his buttocks while masturbating. On Tuesday, at Fountain, a prisoner set fire to another prisoner's bed blanket while he was sleeping, leading to a fight between the two men. Officers searching a dormitory at Ventress found 12 plastic bags of an unknown substance, 79 cigarettes laced with drugs, two bags containing cookie dough, and a bag of methamphetamine. On Wednesday morning, a prisoner at Easterling was sexually assaulted inside of a segregation cell by an inmate. Four days prior, this same prisoner had been forced at knife point to perform oral sex on two other prisoners. On Thursday, at Ventress, a prisoner was so severely assaulted by four other prisoners that he had to be transported to an outside hospital for treatment. A different Ventress prisoner reported being sexually assaulted. At Bullock, a prisoner was found unresponsive on the floor by his bed and later died. His death was caused by an overdose of a synthetic cannabinoid. On Friday at Ventress, an officer observed a prisoner bleeding from the shoulder due to a stab wound. The prisoner was transported to an outside hospital for treatment. These incidents in Alabama's prisons are just some of those reported in ADOC's own records during one week. And based on what we learned from our investigation and statements made by ADOC's head of operations, it is likely that many other serious incidents also occurred this week but were not reported by prisoners or staff. On the evening of August 4, 2010, 
24-year-old Recrast Mac Jr. was lying in his dorm bed covered with a blanket while prison guards conducted a routine count of the population at Ventress Correctional Facility in Clayton, Alabama. One of the correctional officers conducting the count, Officer Melissa Brown, approached Mr. Mac and accused him of looking at her inappropriately and began shouting at him. She then pulled out her baton, held it in one hand, and struck Mr. Mac in the face with her other hand. Attempting to escape the physical attack, Mr. Mac retreated behind the bed, but Officer Brown followed him and hit him a second time. Mr. Mac struck back, hitting her in the face, then ran away from her and toward the dorm entrance. Another officer approached Mr. Mac and ordered him to get on the ground. Witnesses saw Mr. Mac comply with these orders and quickly get on his knees and place his hands on his head. Soon after, at least five other officers, including Lieutenant Michael Smith, arrived at the scene after responding to a call for backup. Even though Mr. Mack was on his knees and subdued, witnesses report that officers violently assaulted Mr. Mack. Officers beat Mr. Mack with batons and fists, striking his head, face, and body. The correctional officer who initially got Mr. Mack to submit to arrest tried to intervene and attempted to pull the officers off of Mr. Mack and put himself between Mr. Mack and the assaulting officers. This officer was threatened by other guards and forced to retreat. Lieutenant Smith was heard to say that the guards were going to kill Mr. Mack. The threat and continuing assault occurred at the entrance of the dorm and was witnessed by dozens of inmates. Mr. Mack was subsequently beaten by guards in the dorm and in the prison yard until his bloodied body became limp. Even after he appeared to be unconscious, witnesses saw guards continue to hit, kick, and punch Mr. Mack. The guards ultimately took Mr. Mack, who was unresponsive, to the shift office, slammed Mr. Mack's head into a wall, and closed the door. Witnesses later saw a golf cart driven by a nurse leave the shift office with Mr. Mack's body on the back of the cart. His arms were dangling, his neck appeared twisted, and his head bobbed uncontrollably. Believing he was dead, inmates began to protest and attempted to make phone calls for help. Prison staff disconnected the phones to prevent phone calls by inmates immediately following the incident. Upon arriving at the infirmary, Guards were seen throwing Mr. Mack's limp body to the ground while the nurse stood by watching. Mr. Mack reportedly sustained fractures to his ribs, arms, legs, and skull during the attack. He was taken to Troy Regional Medical Center that evening and then transferred to Jackson Hospital in Montgomery. Reports indicate that Mr. Mack was brain dead by the time he arrived at Jackson Hospital. An autopsy report concluded that Mr. Mack died as a result of multiple blunt force trauma. The coroner ruled that his death was a homicide and his injuries were unusually severe. My friend Alan had a warrant for a traffic offense. One day he received a phone call from his friend Ben. Ben told Alan remember the traffic warrant you have? You don't need to worry about it anymore. I took care of it. Ben went on to explain that he had been arrested for a minor offense and received community service for his sentence. The community service job he received was filing at the municipal court. 
He came across Allen's warrant and destroyed it. A few months later Allen was stopped for another traffic offense. The officer told Allen computer shows a warrant for you. I'm placing you under arrest. While Allen sat in the back seat of the squad car, the dispatcher radioed the officer I was unable to get confirmation on that warrant and Allen was released. At least in those days, the police wouldn't arrest someone on a warrant unless a PD employee could lay his hands on an actual paper warrant and confirm it existed. Not a police officer, but was an RA in college. My university owned all the houses adjacent to campus. These were ran like dorms, with RAs and the same rules which included a very strict no alcohol policy. It was a privilege to live in the houses, and priority was given to upperclassmen who were more likely to bend that rule because they were of age and it was harder to police off campus in houses. There was a student who went around knocking on doors saying something like I'm an RA and, housing director's name, sent me for health and wellness checks. She'd find their booze, take it, and follow up with how she's doing them a favor by just giving them a warning. She wasn't actually an RA and was just keeping the booze for herself. The only reason she got found out was because she did it to an actual RA. The RA was male, they kept men and women housing separate, and just assumed he didn't know her because of that. It was only later he questioned why they had a female doing wellness checks on male housing. They did an investigation and asked other residents. Incidents dated back previous two years. Never found out who it was. Not a copper, but this was pretty smart. I used to run bars at a number of venues around the north of England one of which was Chester Racecourse. Usually, we'd just have to keep an eye out for scousers trying to nick drinks or sneak in without paying, and with it being so close to Liverpool there was a fair amount of security on site. You could tell them, as they'd be suited, booted, a high-vis waistcoat on and usually carrying a radio. Now there were a dozen or so bars dotted around the course, and you can imagine the amount of money that was taken from a hundred thousand or so punters drinking steadily from 11 until 8 or 9 in the evening. So every hour or so, the security would go round the bars in turn and take all the high denomination notes from each till and stick them in the safe in the main building. So I'm stood there one day, pulling pints doing the barman thing, the security blokes have been round a few times and it's getting steadily busier. Then one bloke shows up on his own, hive is on and radio in his hand, does the till, leaving the usual receipt so we can balance up at the end of the meeting. Bit early I think, but hey ho, I've got plenty to do. Then 10 minutes or so later, two more blokes show up, dressed the same. Oh, your mate's just been here, I said. No need to touch the just yet dot what mate? We're the only two doing this duty today. Cue a rapid fire and increasingly panicked exchange over the radio. Matey boy who'd done the till before used to work there apparently, so he knew the drill and he'd been watching the guards and knew just when to time it and what order they were going round the bars in. Apparently he got round 9 or 10 before he decided not to push his luck any further and walked away with about 80 grand we heard later. 
Just took off the high-vis, dump that and the radio and he's just one more guy in a suit in a crowd of thousands. They were a bit stricter on the procedure after that. Not a cop, but have a brilliant story. Worked at grocery store. For sales tax reasons, every item is assigned a department code. Booth clerk, underpaid person who counts all tills at end of the night, comes up with a brilliant idea. They created a new department code that didn't exist and then changed several cheap items to that code. When they counted the money at the end of the night they would pocket the cash from that department code. Since the department didn't exist, nothing in the book seemed off. Supposedly got over 100k before being approached. Quit on the spot and was never charged. It took years to figure what had happened and the company was never able to prove who did it. This was early 90s, when computers were still new to businesses and most people didn't know how to use them or what they were capable of. Security was often very lax. Had another employee write small recycling slips for small amounts as well. He would again pocket the money. He got away with 16k if I remember. Eventually got greedy and was caught. Confessed away more than they had on him. Back in the 90s I worked for a Bank of America branch in a very wealthy community. It always held at least $250,000 in the safe, and often upwards of $1M+. Many citizens with large businesses banked there, and many state agencies also brought in massive cash deposits from state parks and so forth. This branch was also somewhat isolated from surrounding areas, with only one road into and out of town, which theoretically made a bank robbery difficult because the cops could easily block the exit route. Anyway, the manager told me of a story of a previous robbery. Apparently some guy had found out the names and home addresses of the branch manager, teller manager, and merchant teller, head teller. He went to their homes and took photos of the homes. He also followed other family members to find where they worked and went to school. Presumably this was over a long course of time. One day he showed up at the branch dressed in coveralls and with a large mechanics toolbox on a cart. And went over to the branch manager. Basically, he looked like he was there to fix something. He sat down and pulled out a folder with a brief letter on it stating this was a robbery and photos of the homes and family members and their schedule, where they were. He threatened to have his accomplices injure them if the robber did not call the accomplice every 15 minutes, with an obvious connection to not setting off the alarm. The manager called over the teller manager and merchant tellers, and explained what was going on. They all went into the safe and he loaded his cart with plastic wrapped cash bricks, no marked bills, which were stupidly arranged back then, there was a small bundle of various bills and that was it, and obviously no exploding die packs. He then wheeled it out, loaded it into a truck, and drove away. Police found the truck a few days later, and it was stolen but now empty. Total haul was $1.2 million. As far as I know he was never caught. I got scammed big time. 
Now this was damn nearly 20 years ago so forgive the naive nature. I owned a big hot tub operation in the UK. Guy calls going nuts. He is a project manager on a big job for a high-end demanding customer. My asshole competitor has screwed up for the second time and not delivered his client's hot tub on time citing shipping delays. His customer is gonna flip out. The deck is ready his guys are on site and he needs a 7-foot hot tub and is willing to pay if it can be delivered today. Of course I can't deliver it today I am 2 weeks out for a delivery slot. He pleads and begs but I can't make it happen. He asks how hard is it to move and lots of logistical questions about the ground prep and electrical requirements. Seems so legit. He says he does like 20 or so year as a year and has so pissed off with the other company that I'm gonna get all his business. After again and again trying to tell him to f off cause I can't help him he says shit my cousin lives near you can I get him to pick it up? Now in 2019 I would laugh but then it was the norm. This man was smooth. I say sure as long as it's paid for. Hess like man I'm 2 hours away I can't get there to pay but I can give you a credit card now. I'm leery and insist his driver gives us his license and photograph it. It all goes fine and he calls back a month later. He is doing a big job on a new build in a small cul-de-sac for 5 hot tubs. Gives me a couple cards to process and says he can handle delivery cause the first one was so easy. I tell him same deal in those days you just took I'd and it was good. Get a charge back a month later, card stolen, plates not matched to vehicles, licenses fakes. Took a hit for 40k pounds sterling which at the time was damn near 60k USD. Almost killed me.